also I want to talk about uh, Sorry to Bother You. Oh, okay. At some point. But not on my... <laughs> Because we may do that someday. Abe, you still haven't seen Sorry to I still haven't right? seen it, and I need to see it. I did watch Hereditary, though. Oh, okay. Well, neither of those are today's topic, and this These is also not today's topic. This is Frame Rate, the show where we rate frames. <laughs> uh, and we're not talking about Hereditary, nor Sorry to Bother You. I'm Michael. Abe's over there. I'm Abe. Dan O'Brien, returning champion, is here. Daniel, what are we talking about? We're talking about the movie Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino. And do you guys remember the first time we saw this movie? Yes. No. We saw it together. Yeah. We saw it uh, in 2009 in theaters after Agents of Cracked. We were filming, I don't think it was the end of a season, but it was the end of an episode. And we were all like free one night. And uh, I think I suggested let's see Inglorious Bastards at the at the the theater near my home. It's coming back to me. Yeah, we went to the 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 Lake Sherman Fuck. Oaks Galleria Gallery yeah. to the ArcLight, and we went to go see this. We went to Fuddruckers first. I, I think remember the, that. The three yeah. of us, maybe Lisa Marie King, maybe Matt Bars, maybe. I think there were more people than just the three of I us. I remember more people. It was a huge moment for me. We went to this movie. Enjoyed the movie, and then we went back to my apartment and just Fuck. like had a couple of beers and talked about the movie. And then everyone went home, and you guys didn't know at the time, but it was a huge moment for me because it was like the first time that I had had like a social thing happen. People over at your like place, people, in people LA. over at my yeah. place, yeah, because I didn't have friends for the first. This was two thousand nine. I moved here in two thousand eight. Didn't have friends for the, a year, <laughs> yeah. And then two thousand nine was like, like I wrote home to people and was like. Mom, you'll never guess. I made I friends. Had friends. We went to a movie and then we like very casually came back to my apartment and we had some beers and we had some snacks and then they went home. I've made friends. It's great. So this movie That's has a delightful. special place in my heart. Yeah. And a thing that uh it's clear to me now you guys didn't totally remember. I no, oh, totally, I totally remember, remember it I do now remember that the you mention it. Yeah. I do remember the, not. I didn't know any of this stuff. You didn't, you didn't know any of the, the the heartfelt stuff. Yeah, I didn't know. You that. thought you were just seeing a movie just, with a guy. Just a, yeah, a guy <laughs> who I'd been working with, who was basically already my friend. Yeah, and was just a, let's watch some uh, well, killing Nazis. Fitting thing. that it's such a romantic, friendship centric right. movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it truly it's is. Basically, Stand by Me, but in Nazi occupied <laughs> France. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I also should mention that we are covering this at the request of Dan Shea, a patron who paid for the Pick the Flick tier and specially requested your presence and this film. So thank you, Dan Shea. He's an uh -huh. Australian firefighter who's fighting fires right now. He wanted me specifically for this movie specifically. Firefighter yeah. wanted He you thought know. I had something to say about this movie? Okay. I think he originally asked for Cody, which you're never supposed to tell a guest. <laughs> But uh, because Cody does some more news and he thought we would end up talking about the rise of the alt-right in America right now. Oh. But spoiler alert, we wouldn't have done that anyway. We're going to talk about the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then after Cody was in Europe for a month, he was like, well, Dan O'Brien, of course, then. Yeah. Because he's the default pick. Well, thank you. I, I, I love being the default pick and uh, I hope I don't disappoint. And thanks for fighting fires in Australia. But Yeah, yeah, that too. Let's talk about people who did something way more important, killed Hitler and stopped World mm. War II. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take that, Dan Shea. <laughs> um, first of all, I want to check in with you guys. Had you seen it often in between the first time and now? I feel like I saw it. Uh, I watched it several times the year after it came out. Like I, I saw it twice in theaters. I saw it with you guys and then my friend Elise. And then as soon as it was available on DVD, I got it. And then watched it a bunch of times because I really liked it. And then I haven't for the last seven years or so. Okay, so your opinion probably hasn't changed wildly because you keep checking in with it. No, I don't keep checking in with it. I watched it a few times right after it came out and then haven't for seven oh, years. Oh, well, to me that's a lot because I watched it okay. the time we saw it and then last night. <laughs> I definitely, I, I liked it for like three years and then okay, well, didn't check in with it. Do you not many. like it now? And um, what changed? There's a glorification of violence in it that I'm not okay with now. And that's not, that has nothing to do with culture and has everything to do with uh, me going older and and changing how I feel about media. Oh, totally. I think it's people often overlook that, especially if it hasn't happened to you yet. Uh, and it happens so much with comedy where you're like, 
I'm not actually objecting to the idea that you don't have the right to say that or fuck free speech or something. I'm just saying as a fact, like a really offensive joke involving suffering used to be funny to me because it was so abstract. I wouldn't even conceptualize. Now I know someone that happened to whatever it is. So like you just can't feel the same way as you age. And even though I know and agree that Nazis are terrible and I know and agree that Hitler is the worst uh, 2009 Daniel was watching a movie where a guy was smiling, shooting Hitler in the face, and I was like clapping and smiling along. And 2018 Daniel uh, doesn't do that. Like my my hmm. uh, ideological position hasn't changed, but uh, I I just don't enjoy seeing violence. Like ideological uh, political opinion, I still agree at 2018 that Hitler is bad, but I I don't agree <laughs> that stance. that watching a person get shot in the face is funny. Cathartic? Is it supposed to be funny? I think it's supposed to be funny. I thought it was supposed to be cathartic. I think it's supposed to be both. I would love to talk to a Holocaust survivor that saw Inglorious Bastards because I also wonder, the central thing the movie does, I mean, it does several things and we'll delve into it all, but I think something that really seemed innovative at the time and I still want to take our minds back there and recognize how innovative it was is it's the first World War II movie where they kill Hitler mm-hmm. and they really kill the shit out of yeah, Hitler. Yeah, they just rewrite history. They Swiss cheese him. And that was a moment where I was like, like no country did this to me, where I was like, you, I didn't think you could do that. Of yeah. course you can, but wow, what an amazing power the medium of film has that it just discovered that it could take someone we all universally pour our hate into and give us the amazing experience of seeing justice done to them, even if it's not true. Yeah. Um, and maybe I've been radicalized over time because I used to be the guy who was totally like, violence is never an option. And now I feel like that's kind of privilege only in that, mm-hmm. well, if you're oppressed long enough and you've tried protesting and the political, and they just won't take their boot off your neck, then violence is an option, like eventually. Sure. I, th- I think the movie just glorifies it in a way, and we'll we'll get into this because I do spoiler alert like this movie a whole lot. Uh, but there are things that I, as as I got older, I liked writing more than I like writing of the movie more than I liked a lot of the other parts of it. Like there's the Donny Donowitz beating the German guy in the head with a bat. That is played for joy. Like it the, is the. The bastards, whom we love and we know as protagonists, they all clap for it. They celebrate it. They're very excited about it. Uh, and at the time, I was right there with them because that, that's such a cool intro to a character. And it's such an amazing entrance. He's pounding a bat going through this In a dark fucking tunnel. tunnel yeah. And he shows up and he's it's Eli Roth, but you don't know that. He's just like some jacked guy in a wife beater and you yeah. believe him as this this Jewish American Boston hump and he beats this guy and 2009 Daniel again was like yeah you beat that guy and 2018 Daniel is like not as comfortable watching a bunch of people celebrate beating someone else to death and scamming like, right and like Brad Pitt is like uh it is the closest thing we get to TV is watching Donnie work and so everyone is super excited. To even watch though the him guy's a Nazi thing. who probably personally murdered a bunch of other people, right? Even he, though he's a he, he's a bad. It guy. doesn't make it enjoyable to experience. It doesn't. It's not <laughs> enjoyable to me, especially now. It's not enjoyable to me mm-hmm. to like like I can't get on board with beating someone to death and a bunch of people cheering, bold stance. and having that being an exciting thing. Sure. I also just gonna say I think he loses a lot of gravitas when Eli Roth opens his stupid fucking yeah. mouth and starts. Daddy Williams knocking out of the park. The dumbest, broadest Boston accent I've ever heard. Yeah. And I don't know if their lines Quentin actually wrote. They seem like improvs because of the editing and shot distance and pacing. But he says like just the most road shit like come on boy, two hits, I hit you, you hit the ground, pal. Yeah, that's the thing. As soon as I I think even like when, he, when that movie came cool. out, when he said that, it was like, do it's me hit you, you hit the floor. And I was like, I think I heard that in Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. you stole that from Breakfast Club, Eli. He hits a long one out of Fenway Park. <laughs> like, yep, you're from Boston. That confirms it. <laughs> um, yeah, I can vibe with you on the violence, but I think 
we have to embrace it to discuss it because yeah. absolutely really good realistic violence all throughout yeah and I think we're all saying, yeah, killing Nazis may sometimes be necessary, but it's about the tangible enjoyment of watching. Yeah, the it revenge, just like justice and revenge aspect of, it. and I actually got to give it to him about the the boldness of just like killing Hitler, and like rewriting such a well known story as just like, but what if it happened like right. this? Is kind of cool cinematically. I agree. Um, and the fact that he doesn't really pay much attention to it, other than the shot shot after shot of. Swiss cheesing his face. They, he embellishes, but I mean, it's Tarantino. When does he not embellish? Right. You know. Um, so there's a lot of things to like in this movie, and I'm the violence doesn't bother me. The violence has always been Tarantino's bag, so there's nothing new with this one. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, you just turned too far away. Uh, so there's nothing new with this one in terms of like the violence and the mayhem mm-hmm. and like. It's not his most violent movie. It's not his most think. violent movie. The thing that it does as well as Django does is this kind of like rewriting history with just a revenge story right. that given what we know now, what would be the coolest thing to happen at that time? Right, which I think is a very fine thing to do. Like I, like I don't need everything to be word perfect with history. I like the idea of someone yeah. being like, you remember Hitler, he was bad, right? Wouldn't it be cool if there was a group of like nine buff Jewish soldiers scalping who fucking Nazis. killed yeah. Nazis and Hitler isn't that neat and like yeah that is neat that, like, also I, I some can, that are not buff at all uh, oh, some of them yeah, are PJ Novak to me the most yeah I was gonna say Eli Roth didn't deserve to be in this movie but I was happy Paul Rust got the break <laughs> the uh, if you'll recall that was a crack thing too Paul Rust was just a good improv at he was UCB. A friend of yours, right? Didn't you guys do class with him? I had done a UCB class with him once and reached out to him about doing a crack sketch. And he wrote back and said, "Of course, anytime. I'll do anything that's funny. You know, I just I don't have shit to do." And then he wrote back a couple days later and was like, "Actually, I was just cast in a Quentin Tarantino movie and I'm flying to Europe. Didn't <laughs> expect that to happen, but you know." I'm going to do that instead. <laughs> so bye. That was, that's, that's interesting because that was uh, a, just like a production note thing. This has nothing to do with the plot or anything. It The movie was, it's called Inglorious Bastards, and the bastards are Brad Pitt and his team, mm-hmm. and one of whom is Paul Russ, one is B.J. Novak, one is Sam Levine. Oh, B.J. Like, Novak doesn't deserve to be in there either. Oh, uh, fuck B.J. Novak. <laughs> uh, but like a bunch of comedy people. And the trailers when they came out for this movie were very much centered around Brad Pitt's monologue about getting Nazi scalps. And I want my scalps. Right. Uh, And that didn't end up being necessarily what the movie was about. Like, that was a good trick of the trailers for this movie. It was like, this is a movie starring Brad Pitt and a bunch of weird comedy folks trailing Nazis in Europe. It was like... No, it's actually, it's mostly subtitled. It's a mostly subtitled movie in France. Yeah. And, you get, and like the, the bastards are like one quarter of the movie. Maybe. Yes, which is interesting about the presentation. And in a way it felt, I actually, I want to dig into the structure because I've come to believe that the structure is actually uniquely prosaic because Tarantino loves like Reservoir Dogs fucks with time. Pulp Fiction ramps it up to 11. Like that's the main thing you notice is that the time's all fucked up. Um, I think this and Hateful Eight, I suppose, uh, he really wanted to constrain himself probably because he thinks of them as Westerns. Like what's weird to me is it's obviously technically should be shelved like a a blockbuster as a world war two movie, Mm -hmm. but it's a Western, right? Like it's shot like a Western. The score is like a spaghetti Western. And he said, uh, or I just read on the trivia thing that he had said that he was trying to apply the spaghetti Western aesthetic. And he was originally going to call it the first chapter title once upon a time. Mm -hmm. And as no more, honestly, I mean like it's a mashup. When Shoshana is running away from Landa, you know, it's the searcher shot, the John Ford shot through the door. Yeah. Like the door, it's all silhouette and you just see someone, which he's used time and time again. I mean, if anything, Tarantino is a very capable plagiarist. And what's the uh, shot where she's looking out the circular window? You told me that was Le a remake. Samurai. Like, okay. he does that on all of his mm-hmm. films, though. It's not that important. Here's something. You guys want to hear some math about, like, 
how long these scenes are because that's I'd one love of to hear some math. The, that's one of the things that I think a lot of us notice. Do you know how many pages the first scene is? Oh, I don't know, but I do know it's time, it's length. <laughs> it's uh, what about its girth? It's seventeen minutes or uh, twenty-one minutes with credits, so probably. 18 minutes and of course That's we're talking such a long scene yeah and it's, it's not the scene. only scene that is that long so the math is it's two hours and 15 minutes of scenes that is my back the envelope mm -hmm. even though it's longer mm -hmm. because i'm given like seven minutes six seven minutes for end credits and there's like three or four minutes up top of credits uh and that means that liberally that's five minutes a scene if you just do the median mm -hmm. but in my breakdown of all the scenes where I got, I think, to 27 scenes, I'd say about four or five of those are like intercuts, just mainly act three and the big giant face where it's mm -hmm. like, it's all one scene. It's all the scene at the, like I would count a different scene would be, uh, you know, Landa, getting Aldo. Yeah. But I would say anytime we're inside watching the movie, that's like one scene. But Act Even Three, act three Giant Face is definitely like, here are all the people that you've yeah. met this entire movie, the, this movie that is 11 and a half hours long or whatever. Yeah. Act Three is is like, now things are happening to all of them. They're you, all in you, one you place. You know Landa, you right, know right. Brad Pitt, you know... Uh, yeah. Hammer's Mark. Hammer's Mark. Yeah. yeah. All those people. You, you know Hitler. Here, you know, a, a thing are. is happening to all of them at the same time. Right. That's the first time. That I'm that just happens. acknowledging that it feels different to a viewer as opposed to the first scene with the, you know, at Shoshana's home, uh, where she's it's like a play, or the yeah. bar scene where they're all playing. Is the like game. a play yeah. too. Those are yeah. both. So the, I would say a good, more true estimate would be there's an average of this movie, a median average mm -hmm. that is like seven to eight minutes yeah. long per scene. It really right. makes me want. Quentin Tarantino to write a play and I felt that about oh, Hateful yeah. Eight too That's hateful. where it's like you're so good at dialogue and you're so great at like making 17 minutes of two people sitting across the table from each other talking tense mm -hmm. and, and, and captivating just fucking write plays and I know mm -hmm. he won't do that uh, and he likes his shots. And I kind of want to put in pay tribute to stuff. You can't get close-ups of feet in a play. No, hard. yeah, there's a whole sequence. Of, yeah, he loves him's feet. Uh, but just because I love doing this, I love taking a stopwatch to most things that I watch and just see mm -hmm. when the breaks happen. If there's anything new, it's just like a tick I have. Huh, that's kind of a pun now that I think about it. No, yeah, sorry. sure. Dork, <laughs> just go on. Uh, Game of Thrones, which mm. is a completely different format and medium, obviously. Uh, the reason it, I perked up is that also averages around 27 scenes an episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and if you count it the way that I'm counting Inglorious Bastards. And that's like a 55-minute-ish show, mm -hmm. I would say, on average. So that means that they're averaging two minutes for, per scene. Mm -hmm. And Inglorious Bastard is averaging like eight. That's yeah, just well, that's crazy... what I was, Well, standard in, like if you read... You know, here's how to write a traditional movie and break into Hollywood. It's like half a minute to two minutes is your maximum scene length is two minutes, right? right. Usually. Yeah. Uh, and I think what that creates is, yeah, a play-like feeling. But I also found myself often being like, this is Hitchcockian. I sound pretentious. <laughs> but like, it seemed like, and it almost this time in this viewing made it feel monotonous to me, not in a bad way. But each sequence felt like, set up, tension ratchets up, ratchets up, ratchets up, resolution, mm -hmm. move on to a totally different place, totally different setup, tension ratchets up, ratchets up, yeah. at roughly the same speed. Right, watching, <laughs> it, watching it last night again in preparation of this podcast was the first time that I thought there were redundancies. Uh, Hellstrom, the, the, the Nazi who was in the, the basement... Oh, the like father the, of the, Maximilian? No, the guy who who finds them out. Finds them out. Yeah. Okay, he is a guy that uh, I I still love that actor. I th yeah, I still think he's great. But watching it again, I thought that's kind of redundant because you've got him and you've got Christoph Waltz. These are two Nazi detectives. That's that's their role. You got these two uh, very smart, high up Nazi officials who are fluent in multiple languages and watching it this time, just like thinking about it critically, I was like, why, why this guy instead of Hans Landa? Why, I do, think the why, why do we have this guy that is like 
Yeah. He he had a very brief introduction to, and, then he and dies. now we've got him as like in this big scene where he's clearly a detective. He's got an eye, an ear for accents. Yeah, you know, he figures stuff out. He could tell when you hold the wrong number of three fingers up. This is a guy who has the same detective skills of of Londa. Right. I was like, why? Why is this two characters? I think other than like we don't want to kill Londa. <clears throat> I th- exactly. I think it's functional because they set up by the premise that, and I don't know how he could change that and have the rest of the movie work. Everyone in that room has to die or yes. the end mission would be compromised. So you can't put Londa in the room because he'd have to die yeah. or at least get shot in the balls and live. Right. I understand <laughs> that if that, if knowing what you want your ending to be, I understand that. But right. to rewrite it, I would just remove Find that scene and like something. yeah like condense those things Find a like, way to make not it make it necessary to murder everyone in the room for the movie right. to progress right. he's got somehow, iron balls yeah, yeah. right <laughs> no i could even see londa res- being that guy and then resourcefully surviving or secreting himself then crawling out from the wreckage and finding the napkin and everything else yeah. proceeding as normal yeah i think uh tarantino's famous for this in the same film Does whatever the fuck you want uh <laughs> why is it that like when hammer smart he's she leaves the thing that has her kiss and assigned on her like mm-hmm. handkerchief for Max. And then she also has her shoe. These are the things that Londa finds and is like, there's someone missing. It's a woman. Here's a shoe and it's nice fashion. He puts this all together in the room and then he finds her name. Yet he then calls her up later after he's like investigated and found out that she has a very trick, like bad alibi mm-hmm. about her, why she has a caster on her leg. Like there's no doubt in this guy who's actually pretty intelligent. Like she is all signs point to her yeah. yet. He gets her to come up just so he can put feet in. Right. I think it's just because Tarantino wanted to have a feet scene. Wanted a feet scene. And, yeah. a, and a fight. Well, like, also it's out a woman I famously, guess. and I don't know if it's true cause it's not listed in the IMDb trivia. I'm sure Tarantino would not allow it to be, but I have always heard that in the close-up, it's his hands choking her. No, that's her. true. That's yeah. confirmed. That, that's that's an interview, and that he really choked her till yeah. she passed out. Yeah. So there might be an is aspect. That yes. That he Ooh. wrote the scene in because it's a thing he always wanted to do, and he can yeah. now. It's like a really <laughs> shitty thing because that's horrible. Uh, he did that in this, and also uh, I want to say one of the Kill Bill movies. Uh, mm. There's another movie where. Uh, someone close up strangles a woman, and it's his hands in that as well. And uh, I'm sure he, his argument's like, well, the director should be responsible. If right, something his, goes his, wrong. Ar- his argument was like, I'm not gonna have a PA do that. I'm not gonna have an extra do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think it looks good if someone is like really choking, and I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make sure that I'm the person who does that. And uh, I think when asked about like, what if you were choking a man? Would you still do that? It's like. I don't know. I would never even think about that. I would never even think to ask a man if, if I should be the one choking him. I was like, yeah, well, two things on that. <laughs> In all of your movies, you never choke a man. You, <laughs> right. you have only choked women. And isn't that interesting to you? And second of all, doesn't it matter to you that you wouldn't think of asking a man <laughs> yeah, exactly. if you could choke them? Isn't that interesting to you at all? <laughs> doesn't that make you want to look inward at all? But Perhaps, yeah. yeah. It does not. He just choked her. I do think that's a... Cl- I mean, it's such a... I, as you, we keep saying, it goes all the way back to well-made plays like Pinter and Ibsen and shit. But just the simple fact that you know Londa knows, that is a, such a great tension scene where yeah. he's asking... Uh, yeah, your cast is so fresh. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I broke it yesterday morning. Oh, so you're mountain climbing in Paris. Let me talk Italians to your friends. Yeah, yeah let me yeah. talk perfect Italian to your Italian quote-unquote yeah. friends. We all fuck it up. Do you, I still don't... This is a thing that I've always been confused about for this movie, and I want to say again that I love this fucking movie. Um, but Londa killing Bridget von Hammersmark has always confused me. Uh, because he does it it's clearly passionate when he kills her. And it's, he says she got what she deserved. She got afterward. what she deserved. And if the movie ended there, you could decide that Londa is the kind of person who hates traitors. Doesn't like anyone who's going to betray country and they need to die painfully. And that's why he strangled her to death. But then he betrays his country. His plan yeah, is to like, immediately cut a deal. Very logically and coolly betrays his country. And so I don't know 
why? I I'm, think it's, I've I've always been confused about that. I don't think there's a good explanation. I don't think there's a good explanation. I think it's the most inconsistent thing in the film because Landa is supposed to be Batman, like Nazi Batman to me. Right, yeah. He's supposed to be the detective. He's Sherlock Holmes, yeah. Yeah. And he even has that big pipe. The calabash. Oh, well, that's so... I also think they're just doing the big dick thing, right? Like, the farmer takes out a little corn cob pipe, and then right when he turns to, okay, I'm going to kill everyone now, he's like, can I smoke too? My pipe's big. <laughs> I think it's a little both, because he does say, like, I'm a detective immediately. Yeah. yeah. Can I uh, do some opium and play violin while we discuss the people under your floorboards? Uh, but I agree. I think we're circling around what Abe said. The scene's only there because Quentin wanted to do it, and he doesn't care that it's actually a weirdly inconsistent thing for Londa to do. Right. It's a foot scene and a choking a woman with your own hands scene. Where the this character gets more emotionally invested than we've ever seen them, and yeah. it's so not what he would do. No. What I like to talk like about... Like, he brushes well, his hair and then, like, does the big meeting about, like, I'm going to surrender the war. Yeah, I also like, and I want a Congressional Medal of Honor. <laughs> right. right, he's just having a buffet of American tradition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing I like to talk about most when I mm. talk about Tarantino, because if it hasn't been made clear, I'm not a big fan of Tarantino. Surprisingly, no. this is my second favorite Tarantino film. What's your first? Reservoir. Which we've covered. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, I think Reservoir's it's a part. You know, it's, it's a band apart. It's a band apart. <laughs> this is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie of all of them. Uh, Far and away. I don't like most of them. And the Far and away is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. because he's not capable. It isn't that he isn't compelling. Uh, I mean, Wes Anderson is also compelling, but I find they're of the same cloth, meaning they found out how to do one exceptional thing that was new and fresh, Mm -hmm. and they did it to the point of like, kind of like Michael Bay does too. He's like, yeah, I'm a technical wizard. And they're like, go do that forever and just keep making your robots. Uh, and with Wes Anderson, I mean, it'd be oversimplifying, but just for ease and speed, like it's floral print walls. And for here, it's hyper violence. And it's um, the bigger question that I like to ask, which is how much is too much? For example, uh, he's famous for like his waxing poetic, you know, Royale with cheese, yeah. foot massages, all that stuff. Monologues. Which, which is why I like him, which is pop what, culture what, what I'm here. I, I don't like yeah. the pop culture stuff so much, but... Just, he definitely writes movies for writers. It's just a It's strange, not how anyone talks. It's a strange incident for a serial killer or like a hitman to yeah. be talking about a Royale with cheese. I get it. It is an interesting and poetic kind of turn that we have never seen before. That's why it's so fresh. That's why it felt new. Just and like we Anderson. All see, we all were excited. You like, recognize like the Tarantino verse feels different. Yeah. 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 And uh, I actually think that first 21 minutes, the, you know, Londa being the hunter mm-hmm. uh, is really good. I wanted to point out that it takes 17 of those 21 minutes for Waltz to actually change a beat mm-hmm. to actually do something in terms of the story where he finally says, quote, Hey, I can have my soldiers just go nuts on this house or you can point out where they're hiding. You know, yeah. like, I mean, why would you say quote? That's not, that's a quote. not a quote. That's yeah. absolutely not. A quote. Yeah. Yeah. Paraphrase. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I just put it in quotes. Cause I don't know. Quote. Aha. It's not a quote. I can uh, just have my soldiers So it's just like he he basically does this thing where he for 17 minutes just toys with his food. Yeah. And then for five minutes, the steaks are Drinks there. two glasses and of milk, which is a power play and a lot of milk. Yeah, white power, I guess, <laughs> is what the milk thing I is. just think it's, you know, the classic eating in someone like... This is my home. He so cares so little about murdering people. He knows he's going to murder people seconds from now, and he's like can enjoy a delicious yeah. glass of milk and like yeah. still controls it because it's like, hey, do you want wine? Like, no, 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 no. Give me milk. I'm in charge now. You're yeah. going to give me milk, and they give him milk, and like he puts his hand on the daughter to ask for the milk. Yeah, and then like drinks it right in, in one. one it does goal, yeah. in a way that is like. This conversation starts when I'm ready. It's I'm gonna, the hound I'm saying, gonna drink your fucking milk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it at my own pace. And he constantly his main tactic is everyone in the room has to go at my pace. Yeah. Period. I agree with it. Yeah. Builds so a better monster. He every one of those things are great gestures. I'm yeah. not pointing at anyone. But you're building toward a point, I can tell. Yeah. But seventeen minutes of it, like how many do you so that's my question. How much is too much? Do you 
should we just make a film where we make someone more horrifying because of how haunting they can be? Like, cause that's longer than most short films. Well, a ton of stuff in this serves no thematic function and is exactly that, which is another reason I think I call it Hitchcockian is Hitchcock would have tropes where the scene gets lengthened and delayed just by circumstance it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It's just to milk the tension even right. longer. Like when he's eating the strudel and we're like, this is already so tense. And he's like, no, wait. Now we have to wait for the uh, cream. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and that he chooses doesn't... milk for her, which mm-hmm. is like, does he know? See, to me, that I have an that's... espresso and mademoiselle would have that. That is the cool. Milk. That is a statement yeah. because that changes your understanding and throws uh, wait, the equation into question. Accident? But waiting for the cream is just a delay tactic. And to feel I, the tension. It's the question is whether that's enjoyable or not. I don't know that it has a purpose, but I do think in the movie he's trying to say, I ratcheted the tension up to this level. It feels good to be tense like this. Yeah. So let's hover at this level for yeah. a while. I lack the vocabulary to be able to articulate why I feel this way. But he makes the movie so watchable. Quentin Tarantino, like every bit of it, all the stuff that you're talking about, you, you think maybe the first 17 minutes are too long. And like the creme, the cream situation might be too long, but it's still every bit of that to me is just like, I'm watching this, even though I watched it a yeah, thousand yeah. times watching it last night, I'm still very tense rewatching it. Engaged. He does such a good job. Just like you're, you're, you can't check your phone while you're watching this. I, that's a great review of the film. just tension. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I just. My personal style is that I think that you can do that only so many times before it starts getting rough. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. He doesn't screw up. You know, there's not one gesture that he makes that he clearly, as a filmmaker, is trying to escalate the tension and just fails at it. Yeah. Like they always do succeed in what he's trying to do. And in that, he's a good director. Mm-hmm. But it, it's like, uh, don't breathe if you saw that at the end, where it's basically, there's a section where it's just a. Uh, woman trying to avoid getting eaten by a dog with you she's in a car and so many don't breathe about the blind guy they're trying to rob and he starts killing them oh i did see that movie got them bad ears this reminded me of that where it's like every possible thing that could happen where you're like this could be resolved but the chair went this way now it could be resolved again but now there's a strap like that it's also it's buying tension time if you uh boil this movie down to a plot there are two different groups that are trying to kill Hitler. It's the Inglorious Bastards with eventually Archie Hickox and uh, the tacit agreement of Winston Churchill and whatever Mike mm-hmm. Myers' character is called, that they're trying to kill the as many goo. Nazis as they can. And there's also uh, Shoshana. Uh, Shoshana slash uh, Marcel? M- Mimio. Oh, oh, uh, I see. And her Mimio? partner, Marcel, uh, Emmanuel Mimio. Oh, that's her uh, fake and, name. And her, yeah. her partner, Marcel, they mm-hmm. are also trying to kill the Nazis. The most uh, successful. And they have <laughs> so many different plots to get there. And at the end of the day, it doesn't actually matter because Hans Landa is the one who really makes sure that this thing happens. But the bare bones plot is uh, Shoshana and the bastards are trying to kill the Nazis. And they both succeed. They both succeed. <laughs> yeah. They didn't. If one of them failed, the other one would have worked and, yeah. and vice versa. Most likely they because Shoshana's plan, we do see the building fully burn and collapse. Like, yeah. even if Hitler wasn't getting Swiss cheese, he would have burned to death. He would have burned to death, yeah. <laughs> There's uh, 250 dead Nazis in there. And if she had failed, the bastards would have done yeah. their thing. Although her plan's so much more dramatic. I got to say... Yeah. One thing that really stuck with me in the film, and I don't know why, and again, I can't elucidate, it's just like when Lynch throws up an image where I'm like, I love yeah. that, is I don't care how contrived it is. Big face in the smoke? The big face projected on the smoke, laughing as a room full of Nazis burned to yep. death. The return of the giant face. Makes right? you <laughs> feel revenge of the giant face. Revenge. Yeah, Incoming yeah. revenge from the big giant head. Yeah. <laughs> it may, It's one of the closest filmic experiences where I felt like I was in hell, like literally the Christian hell. Like the sound design is so good and full of the fact that he really didn't mince 
So many movies, you know Quentin won't do this, but so many movies, when they're firing indiscriminately into the crowd, would have had mostly dudes in SS uniforms getting hit. He had mostly their wives getting hit to be like, yeah, yeah right. they're shooting like a mass shooter would into a crowded theater randomly. Yeah, the bastards just kill all Nazis. To right. me, the most disturbing image like the- this time was Donnie Donowitz obliterating Goebbels' French mistress. Right, the the Because I was like, you hate her so much. slash prostitute. And you don't, you don't even really know, know who she is. Yeah. yeah, you just walked in and were like, and fuck this woman. Yeah. Like, the bastards mm-hmm. are obviously monsters. But I, I, I bring this up to just say that, that, like, as far as plot goes, very little actually happens in this movie. And it's, a it's bunch of it's a redundant. It's a series of plays that are very tense. And in the yes. meantime, there are two plots that fall apart several times and then win in the end. And Hateful Eight's very similar Mm -hmm. to that structurally, actually. Yeah. Although I do, the most I felt tension about, like, because he does do a good job of making you anticipate what typical or traditional, like, suspense would be. Mm -hmm. And then he, he, like, makes you, wait, oh, shit, now he's going to do the Quentin Tarantino thing where everyone's going to die. And I don't want that because that's, that shouldn't happen here. That can happen elsewhere, but not here. Was the bar scene? Oh, uh, Fastbender feels yeah. like wait, he's gone already. Wait, he's gone, yeah. and also Hugo's gone. Like all these oh, yeah. are the great Stiglitz, and they're also both super important to the idea of knowing German. And yeah. she's and she's just like, yeah, he the English guy fucked up his German, yeah. and he wasn't good at it. And yeah. it's just the Fastbender stuff was always crazy, and it's especially crazy now that Fastbender is a star. Because watching it last night, it's like you watch a movie for an hour and 20 minutes and then Fastbender shows up for the first time. And it's like, oh, yeah, Magneto's in this movie. Mm-hmm. And he's he's very magnetic. He's so watchable as well. And you you love him. I mean, he does the Quentin Tarantino thing where he talks about movies and like, go fuck yourself, Tarantino. I get it. You like movies. Uh, he used to be a film critic before the war. He was war. a film fuck critic and, he, and he's so good at <laughs> yeah. talking about them. Uh, and in that, his main scene in the bar, he's so good in it. And then he's just dead. And and he's introduced late and is killed so early. Yeah, just right but, in the testicles. Right in the testicles. Yeah. Say off feet of saying to your Nazi balls. Yeah. Uh, I did like a uh, really cool trivia was the guy who played Stiglitz is a German actor mm-hmm. and doesn't like type the typecasting of German people as Nazis. Like he was... When he pursued acting, he vowed to never play just a stock Nazi character or wear a Nazi uniform in a thing. And he agreed to do this one because he's killing Nazis constantly. Right. He's, yeah. he's someone that I watched the movie and I'm like, why the fuck? Why isn't he Tom Hardy? What happened? Why, why isn't, doesn't he why, have why a, isn't Till Schweiger Tom Hardy? Why, why doesn't he have a machete style spinoff movie, dude? Yeah. I would watch that. Yeah. He's so good and, and like he's got such a presence and you would think that after this movie he would do a bunch of other things. But I guess he mostly focused on German cinema. He was in... Uh, the spy vs. spy movie with Chris Pine and, and Tom Hardy. Wow, I forgot this, this there was a spy vs. spy. Yeah, oh, the, it's not a, an adaptation of Mad Magazine's spy vs. spy, is it? It kind of is. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's but he's uh, an antagonist in that movie. But otherwise, he's just not... He's mostly disappeared from American cinema. Yeah. And I don't know why, because he's got such a great look. I realize... Just so handsome. I realize it's on the nose... Because Tarantino always does the film thing, but I still will buy and I like that film literally kills Hitler because that's what they use to burn him to death. And, you know, that's what the movie's doing. We yeah. can use narrative to transcend reality and kill Hitler. It's 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 very on the nose. It's, it is. It, it's, it's but it's not it, it's not inconsistent. No. It's clear. And you're like, yes, that's true. There's there. There are. Three, at least three winks from Quentin Tarantino that I notice in the movie that I hate. Uh, one of them is at the end of the movie uh, mm-hmm. when he carves a swastika into the forehead of Hans Landa. Uh, BJ Novak, piece of shit, says, uh, you did a good job with this or whatever. And then Brad Pitt there says, I think this might be my masterpiece. And they're looking direct to camera while they say this because they were looking at the perspective is there we're assuming that the camera is placed at the forehead of Hans Landa yeah and they're looking down at it so classic swastika eye view shot right it's it's a it's a 
it's a classic POV shot, and they're looking down and says, I do believe this is my masterpiece. Smash cut to written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, every which, time I... Annoying flex. That's wink number one. Wink number two is uh, when, they're doing, when they're playing the celebrity game where they put the cards on their foreheads, and you have to guess who it is. Uh, there's a bit when... Uh, Diane Kruger, uh, Hammersmark, when her character is talking about how uh, it doesn't matter what the author says, the character mm-hmm. is from Africa, so the character is allowed to talk however it wants. That felt like Quentin Tarantino winking and saying, I'm allowed to say the N-word, because it, it was a or moment write where... write it if I pay yeah, a black yeah, person to I'm say gonna, it. I'm going to do whatever <laughs> I want. Like The author it, the author's allowed to say whatever he wants if it is in right. service of the character, which is an answer to criticism that he's gotten his entire fucking career. And of course, all the or most of the references on the cards are yet again flex, like obscure film knowledge yeah. nut flexes. <laughs> and flex number three was the importance of film. Hammersmark, uh, not Hammersmark, uh, Melanie Lachon, uh, Shoshana. She died, but then gets to live on in film. Like, film killed the Nazis, but also allowed her life because her face is being projected on the smoke and she is laughing while people die. And Right, just like the guy she just shot, Zoller. He is right, also living. Right before that, film. she shoots him, he dies, she sees his face on screen, then she, he shoots her, she dies, and you see, oh, through film, dead people can still be active participants in culture. Yeah, right. even though she's dead, her thing will live on. And isn't that important? It's like, that's that's Quentin. That's that's I, that's a guy who worked at a at a, yeah. a, a blockbuster and leaves in film. And like, I'm I'm rolling my eyes while while I say this. It's not I, just because I'm so familiar with his work that I know what his thing is, mm-hmm. and that's why I roll my eyes. Uh, I don't disagree with it. It's just like. I can see him winking throughout this movie I, in these moments. When I, I recognize all those, I got to say, and I want to know, if Abe, if you feel the same way, the first one you mentioned, every time I remember the final moment, I do have a strong urge to be like, oh, actually, I hate this movie. Right. That one really bothers me. How do you feel about that I don't think moment? I could ever end a movie with a character saying direct to camera, this is my masterpiece, smash cut to written and directed by Daniel O'Brien. Right. Unless I don't it was think a par- I could do that. Well, I now think you that could as a the parody. biggest one, but I think that, that none of these particular gestures bother me, but all of them together do. When asked about the misspelled title, changing bastards to it with an E, mm-hmm. Tarantino gave the following answer. Here's the thing, I'm never going to explain that. You do an artistic flourish like that. And to explain it would just take the piss out of it and invalidate the whole stroke in the first place, S- which sounds like a non-answer to me. Like, and he's not really wanting to answer. Yeah. Like, so to me, it's just that he's just like tugging on little aspects of the thing he made. He's playing with toys, which can create awesome stuff. But <clears throat> when you've gotten to a point where you're not really being edited, and you can in Heart Eight be your own narrator, Heart Eight, or on Heart Heart Eight, <laughs> sorry, Hateful Eight. Uh, Hardy, it's a much better movie. Uh, <laughs> Hateful Eight, or you know, just like the, all the embellishing that he does here and there, and we talked about the foot porn stuff too. Like, I think here's a guy that is just really in love with the way he w- wants to make movies. Mm-hmm. I can't fault him for that, but I can not care for his movie. Like how Michael I do feel like he's he's. Uh, I I I can forgive the homages to older movies that he loves. Uh, I mean, I could forgive everything, but I can mostly forgive that. I have a harder time forgiving times when I feel like he's directly responding to critics, which which is what I felt like some of the winks were in this. I feel, and things yeah. that I feel like he does every once in a while, where he's, he's when he waxes philosophical, when uh, Shoshana is talking about how Oh, in France, we respect our directors. That's that's mm-hmm. a response to him not feeling like he gets the credit that he deserves mm-hmm. in not France. Even though in a culture that where people uh, rarely know the name of a director, he's one of the eight names people do right. now. Uh, one of the hard eight names. Tell you what really bugs me that I feel like we almost selectively overlook, maybe not Abe, um, but I definitely do when I am thinking, I like that movie a lot. I'm consciously forgetting 
the little squiggly arrows that say this is Hans Borman and the shit where an electric guitar starts and there's a title card. Yeah. That shit's so lame to me. Like it really doesn't wear well yeah, at all. I love that. And Sam, what is his deal with suddenly having a distractingly famous voiced person narrate 40 minutes into the movie and you're right. like, oh, there's narration? Okay. I'll expect to hear Sam Jackson's voice right. again later. Hour and a half, he says one more sentence. He like, did you need narration right. to link this for, shit up? For Hugo Stieglitz, who says maybe nine words in the movie, uh, dies. <laughs> Doesn't do anything that's actually consequential to the, to the plot. It's just he, he, he is the only person who gets a big setup for his character, and then it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. Uh, and we got Samuel L. Jackson to do it. And yet I... Why? I don't, I don't know why. It's, you can tear it apart in so many different ways. But I want to underscore what Dan said. When yeah. I'm watching it, I am like, it's, I could keep watching this. I'm not, I don't feel like looking away. I'm interested. It looks pretty. I'm excited by the dialogue. Uh, I do think he has a knack, you know, almost a, a Whedon-ish knack for line-to-line dialogue that is essentially propelling his career. Right, <laughs> right. And I, and I defend Battleship, you know, the movie. <laughs> like, like, here's the thing is that it's not that he's a bad director. It's that I think people treat him as a one of the gods of filmmaking mm-hmm. of modern age, and I just don't buy in. I it. just, I feel like he should be regarded as a phenomenal writer. Uh, I, I don't care as much for the directing part of things or the his mm-hmm. personality part of things, but I just like him so much as a writer. I know he does. He writes the way that people don't talk, mm-hmm. but every character is distinct. Like, like no one is his voice in this movie. And that's and, what'll save stuff like Stiglitz. You're like, if you think about it, there's no reason to have him there, but ah, I like him. He's cool. Right. <laughs> and like Aldo sounds different than Hans Landa sounds different than Hitler sounds different than Shoshana. It sounds different than everyone. It's just, yeah. it's, he's so good as a writer of just like really understanding and living in his characters and knowing how they talk and how they sound and how they My react. My favorite is, first off, I just got to give it, like, every time Brad Pitt does his Italian accent, mm-hmm. fucking floors me. Yeah. It's so fucking funny. Bonjour. And I Arrivederci. Think the, probably the best moment is when he's taken captive, where he's just insulting the German soldiers. That's some of the best I writing. love that so much. As soon as they put the hood over him, fuck you, fuck you. And he's, like, he's surprisingly tame in some instances. Like, you Nazi farts. Yeah, he goes, uh, one of them is... God damn it, you Jerry banging Limburger smelling. <laughs> it happens. He's like Yosemite Sam. The instant a hood is put over his head, there's, there's no like, what? There's no surprise. As soon as the hood comes yeah. out, you fucking Nazi. Fuck you, you fucking pricks. I don't give a shit. Um, does anyone know if concealable punch-powered guns existed at this time or were employed in World no, War II? I don't, know, okay. I don't know how they got through with dynamite. And also how... There's so much dynamite. There, there's a lot of dynamite. <laughs> like so much dynamite around. Like, how do you not see that in like a fitted tub? Nazi, right. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Although there's Hans Landa is judging their the uh, veracity of their accents when he could just look down and be like, "Why the fuck is your ankle so bulky?" <laughs> yeah, that's clearly dynamite. <laughs> Why are you wearing dynamite with a meat thermometer in it? Also, it's not a clock. I don't understand what the timer was. And he actually looks at it. He's like clever. <laughs> <laughs> clever girl. Uh, I did wonder. Did you guys think? Were there three plans to kill Hitler? By which I mean, was Hans always, because the war's winding down and he knows they're going to lose, planning to find some way to kill everyone at that event and then parlay it? Or did he, on a whim, know, oh, the bastards have dynamite. I can do this plan. I think think it's on a whim. I think it's the second one. I I think he, because no one could have planned... Hitler, Goebbels, and the two other very important And he Nazis did nothing to do to get them right. there. Yeah. He didn't do anything to get them there. He found out they were all going to be in the same place, and then he, like, he didn't even know Shoshana's plan. He saw the bastard's plan and was like, this could end the war, and that could be huge for me. Like, yeah. He, I, I think that's a very clear uh, bet hedging moment. It's just interesting for... Uh, because he's such a great detective, but he's yeah. not a mastermind. Like, he's not one of the parties who has a master plan that they fulfill. Yeah. No, he's, he's just, just going through life doing, like, yeah. what seems best. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask you guys a wacky question yeah. about this movie? Oh, yeah. 
Is Brad Pitt a good actor? Uh, it depends hmm. on the role. I think so. I, I don't think he's a good actor. I, I think he's a movie star. I, I think he's very charismatic, and I think sometimes he's just incredibly well cast. I think Tyler Durden, he has two well types. Cast. He doesn't have great range, but he has two things. He has the characters that he has impeccable charisma, mm-hmm. and then like kind of crazy people because like he is phenomenal. Twelve Monkeys, he's great. Burn he's after great. reading, uh, Snatch, he's, he's amazing. He's fucking phenomenal. In Snatch, he's phenomenal. That's right. Uh, yeah, and I th- I'd say he's really good in this. Um, I I think he's mostly good in this. I think his monologue, I don't buy. I feel like like his main introduction where he's doing his big speech, I don't buy. Like, I always and I'm remember taking my notes last mm-hmm. night when I'm watching this movie. I'm like, Brad Pitt's not good. And then every scene where he's with someone else and he's interacting with them, I'm like, nah, Brad Pitt's good. He's, he's I agree. I always remember even the first time thinking this monologue is such a linchpin thing, the way they shot it. I wish it was like one of our finest actors ever delivering yeah. it. Like, you know, I don't know, Brian Cranston or something. But <laughs> but I I think Burn After Reading convinced me he's a good actor. Because that's such a s- small role and out of type for him. Yeah. And between that and 12 Monkeys, I'm like, well, if he can do both of those, I guess he's good. I guess he's good. <laughs> and like Fight Club is a little bit of 12 Monkeys. I think Fight Club, he's just well cast and like it's the perfect time in his life because yeah. he's ripped and lithe and beautiful. But like Ocean's Eleven, he's not really. Oh, see, I think he's great in Ocean's Eleven. I mean, he's not, he's just Brad Pitt. Like he's yes, Brad Pitt yeah. as Mr. Smith and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yes. In the way that Tom Cruise can also fill just charisma guy. Yeah. Right. But I've never seen Tom Cruise do something like 12 Monkeys or any of the things you sure, named. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Well. I don't know why I always compare them, but Magnolia. I do. By... Magnolia. Magnolia. Let's just talk about Magnolia, you guys. Respect the cock. (laughs) Suck my fucking sausage. You are going to give me a slice of that cherry pie, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm team Tom Cruise right now because I keep watching Fallout and it's great. Fallout. Oh, oh, Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those movies are perfect. Uh, But that's not what we're here to talk about. No, we're here to talk Uh, about Tarantino. um, But we are reaching the end. Are we? Roughly. Right. We're at 50 minutes. I don't know 52. How long are to be. Roughly an about hour, five. but. <laughs> about five minutes. About five. Oh. Uh, so, I, or I like, it's time to remember if there's anything that you're oh. like, oh, yeah, I wanted to it's say that. I, I had a question. Because so much of this movie is in uh, multiple languages, and that's, that's great for. Only 30% is in English. It's great for the actors who did a bunch of stuff in a bunch of different languages, but uh, I'm. I've always been curious, and Abe, you might not have the answer to this, um, but I've always been curious for directors who are directing in other languages how that happens. Because, like, if you were directing me right now and the line was, we saw this for the first time together, and uh, I said, and you were directing me in English, and I said, we saw this for the first time together. Or if I said, we saw this for the first time together. Mm. Or if I said, we saw this for the first time together. You would know. Give me four you, more. You, you know in English which emphasis word I'm putting emphasis on, and you can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't imagine Quentin Tarantino is fluent in French, Italian, all the languages, and Waltz's. German. Yeah. Uh, but so much of the movie is in those three languages. I don't know if someone is there an interpreter who is telling them. Oh, like, absolutely. I'm going to assume did, there's. He, he did that. Yeah. He, First he off, said that weird. Multiple interpreters. Like, or if or if Quentin Tarantino was like the intention, like his the way he said what sounds to me like nonsense, mm-hmm. uh, got the intention across, and it doesn't matter because yeah. the the words are going to be on the bottom of the screen I absolutely and it's going to work answer. and you do have an answer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How and does it, it go? How do you do it? Two, it's twofold. First off, like, especially with like very, like with someone like trying to find a Tennessee accent, like Brad Pitt or someone who is trying to do an English accent cause they're French, uh, or something like that in order to figure that out, actors and actresses will employ someone off time you mm-hmm. know just to get better at multiple languages yeah that was something that was very popularized by Meryl Streep uh and then someone will work closely with Tarantino and the writer or whomever is writing and try to get the emphasis and stuff like that of the way that there are the tiny little bits and notes that come up uh, I want you to say this kind of wrong here yeah. 
So they'll work that out in rehearsal and have those translators there. But like for me, like Daniel Bruhl, I know that he is not like originally a, a, a speaker of French. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think he's a really good actor in this movie right. because he's making a bunch of sounds and there are words beneath what he's saying. It's 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 subtitled, and I can I feel like I'm just seeing his intention and his acting with right. with with the words. So I know what he's supposed to be saying, and it looks like he's feeling that. But I don't know if people who are fluent in French are like there could also he sounds like like he's saying fucking gibberish right now. Or I if, doubt if, it would because especially when you have someone on set. Like, did you know that uh, the German or the Austrian dub for English Bastards, Waltz did his own dubbing because he knows like five languages. He knows a he's fucking just a, thousand languages. Yeah, because he's a crazy <laughs> man. But uh, yeah, that's a good point because uh, yeah, that's a really good but point. But like as a director, so, do you stop when it's like, no, that is the performance that I want. I don't, I don't know how it sounds in French, but like I know that it's going to be subtitled. That's where you that's get... That's the performance that I want, even if it might sound weird to a that's native That's where you get directorial speaker. license. Uh, and just so everyone knows, uh, Daniel Bruhl is... Uh, German actor, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he plays Zoller, who's yeah. the nation's pride. Right, uh, and he and he speaks English, German, and French in this movie. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I so you do all your best work by getting all the best people in there, but at the end you have directorial's license. Like, there could be like a line that is said by a non-German speaker, who is absolutely horrible, and if your ear is attuned to German, you're like that was a shitty accent. Um, that they are, that may have just been Tarantino being like, but I like how he acted that way. Right. Also, other times, so the translators there try to give you the best things, but the translators also there to solve problems. Like, I want it so that Fat Spender is a bad version of because it works for the scene. Right. When it's intentional, I get that, but there like are how there, to make it unintentional. There are times when I, when I I wonder if like I I can try to learn if, if I'm doing a scene. I could try to learn perfect Italian for it. Uh, or I could just do a bunch of words that sound Italian. <laughs> and the I audience know. won't know unless they're fluent in Italian. I don't Not think anyone is doing like, that, yeah. but like, you know, cheat a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's cheating that's of all. Based on the take, but I, I doubt at this level they didn't have multiple native people, people keep, yeah. on set. Yeah. yeah. Who told it them all that It just seems so shit. difficult to, to direct a movie that is in four languages and you speak one of them because you're playing yeah. Tarantino. Yeah. It's a lot of research and a lot. And that's another thing about Tarantino is he's almost always really well researched, yeah. not just in his movies and his quotations that he does in terms of how the film looks or quotations he has in the scripts, but he, he makes it feel like there's never any doubt that you're like, yeah, that's totally France. Yeah. That's totally mm-hmm. bunker of Hitler. Mm-hmm. Like it, it looks exactly right. Why? Because most people mm-hmm. are using the same documents, and he's very good at making that very specific. So, of course, you do that with the also Fassbender's well. fluent in German. Yeah. yeah. So, according to IMDb page, at least, he had to train with a dialect coach to make his accent sound inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <I like that>. <laughs> which is go. interesting. Yeah. And I, 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 I like that he's bad at German. The other accent thing that I love so much that is such a throwaway thing is uh, when Londa has taken. Brad Pitt and uh, stupid BJ, uh, and Brad Pitt is like, you know, we got a saying from where I'm from, and Lana's like, yeah, where is that? Mm-hmm. Just him being really curious where yeah. his accent from is such a small touch that I really Bullshit. love yeah. because because Lana is a detective, and you imagine he's like Hellstrom in that he can like pick your accent out from where you are, and Aldo Rain is such a specific type of affectation to his voice. That is one of those things that just in that very brief scene, I felt like this was needling in Londa's brain for a very long time. Mm-hmm. He knew Aldo the Apache, and now his medium was like, where the fuck is he? I can't place that. And, like, mm. and so as soon as like, you know where I'm from? Yeah, where is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennessee. Oh, it's Tennessee. <laughs> like, that seemed like a big relief he for him. He needed to, like, to know. Oh, it's northern Tennessee. Like, we weren't, we weren't sure for a while. It's a... Small moment that I, really I don't know enough to. about America. Either way, uh, yeah, I thought the work on that, at least for me, who knows 
like one language basically yeah. uh it all seems authentic you know like you can kind of see the verisimilitude is that the right verisimilitude verisimilitude like when you watch something like the wire and you go like i bet that's how drug dealers in the projects in baltimore or pretty right. close at least yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's because it's done with such a confidence, uh, and that's true of all languages because mm-hmm. it's not even thought about. Everyone had that confidence, you know, even when they're faking it, which yeah. is, you know, that's hard to do. It makes me wonder yeah, the yeah. language thing if, because Simon Pegg was originally going to be the Michael Fassbender role, mm-hmm. and I don't know this, but now, I, does that mean Simon Pegg also speaks fluent German? I imagine that he would figure it out. Or learn it to do that role, I guess, yeah. Yeah, or you learn it phonetically. depends on how many lines you have. Oh, and Kino, the name of the operation, is the German word for movie theater. Oh, good. Fuck you. Wink again. Uh, Here's here's something that's fun, uh, or I thought was fun just about like how... Here's something that's fun. Twister. uh, (laughs) Just Tarantino being Tarantino. And take what you want from this information. Another trivia thing was... uh, uh, in an audition, uh, Fassbender inquired about playing Londa. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that. You did see that? And Quentin Tarantino replied, look, man, any guy that gets cast as Heathcliff is not fucking German <laughs> enough to play my Landa, right? I also remember he met Landa. with uh, Melanie Lachon several times, and at the end of it, he was like, after like their fourth meeting or whatever, he was like, look, you're just, I want... I want to discover someone, and you're just too famous mm-hmm. in your country. And she was just like, no, no, I'm not. And that worked on him, and, and then he oh, cast wow. her for that. Didn't he also uh, make her, which I guess she was a fan of, though, uh, work for uh, Tarantino as a projectionist? Probably at the New Beverly, because that's the... Did he? Oh, fuck him. Um, I, don't, I didn't I didn't. Like, to that. practice, like, a yeah. few nights or whatever. She's someone rewatching because because like definitely christoph waltz who by the way fucks yeah uh, that guy fucks in this movie. big dick energy christoph waltz <laughs> that's yeah. what i'm coming away from this movie with uh he was certainly when we when we all watched it the first time was like this guy is a star this guy's yeah. incredible give him all the awards watching it last night now that i've i already know that christoph waltz is great uh she is so good she is incredible in a way that I don't think gets discussed enough. Hammersmart? No. No, Shoshana. Shoshana. Okay. Yeah. She is so good. Everything yeah. that she has to do. Yeah. She is so good at it. And she she plays so much. That tense scene with Londa with the cream. When, she oh. finally, when he finally leaves. She's yes. gone. Yeah. And she has a panic attack. Yeah. And like lets herself live it. It's so it's perfect. so good. Yeah. And her when she's being fucking Lady Macbeth and she's talking to Marcel... And she's dressed in black, and she's mm-hmm. like, "We're gonna get this person to edit this movie, and if they don't do it, we'll kill we're the gonna family. kill yeah. the family." Yeah, it's like she is convincing in that, and she's capable yeah. of so much. And I just don't think we give her enough credit. And for it this just movie. like it changes on a dime because you've seen this like woman running away for yeah. fear of her life to humbly working at her. Just doing these things and like, and and like then, trying to hide from the Nazis. And now she's like reading a book and being Eponine. And that and first scene with Marcel, where she's just like. You're no, you're talking about killing a bunch of Germans. Like, we're not gonna kill Nazis. No, 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 we're talking. We are, we are, and you're like, Oh, shit, she's she's running this, she's gonna be, yeah, she's gonna be so good. Yeah, she kills it, uh, or Zoller at least. That's a pretty, uh, that's a hard one, a hard pill to take, Mm -hmm. uh, is their dual death, but it's also you're talking about everyone's dead technically. She already knew she was dead anyway. Uh, Director trademark Quentin Tarantino feet. There are many close-ups of characters' feet throughout the film. We've lost Michael. Someone typed. <laughs> I love that someone typed that into IMDb. Took the time. They're like, this needs to be represented That's on every true. Quentin Tarantino was, page. I hope it was someone who had no clue why mm. was just like, huh? Mm-hmm. He does show feet a lot. He shows feet a lot. Golly. One day we'll understand why. Yeah. <laughs> but until then, and would be like, no, 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 it's because he's into feet. It, Sorry, I'm, oh, I'm, it's not. It's not weird. Maybe. Just like he just he likes them. He's, just like he likes to have blonde women show their feet in close up. That's his thing. Anyway, I'm gonna go have some hot cocoa. <laughs> Do you have any? I don't know if this is a trademark or not, but the scene with uh, Shoshana and Londa where they have the what is it? it's not scones what are they at strudel strudel thank strudel. you strudel with the cream it's that the close-ups of the food seemed like they're filmed by a different person oh it looks- it's it seems like 
this is what you film if you're doing an advertisement for food. Right. And I know he did that in uh, Django Unchained when they have the beer. They do like a very labored close-up of the beer and they're brushing off the foam on the top of the beer. Like a commercial shot? Like a commercial shot. They use the same people. Because so you hire an art director and they have you know, a production designer and then they have art directors who work on, Mm -hmm. like you're working on the building's treatments. You're building the walls. You're painting the walls. So they delegate that and on some days you need to have food there. They just hire a bunch of people. But like, why is he doing it to make it look like a commercial? Because the rest of the movie is filmed like a movie and then it's like, and now this thing that is designed to make you hungry, (laughs) which is what it did for me. Yeah, it's what it did to me. Man, that really looks good. I want to eat that. And even the cream looked delicious and like, I don't know. I think it's just the thing that directors do because it's just like I can do it with all this money. Might as well make it like some of my favorite mm. shots are like, you know, like sometimes food looks sure. good. Uh, I'd rather than it look like that. The cream threw me for a loop because I actually found myself wondering, wait, at that time in human history, did cream come out of a spray nozzle so that it would be shaped in that star shape? <laughs> I think it was just whipped. They probably put it in a pastry bag and put a metal tip on with yeah. the star crenellation. Yeah. Yeah. And then like the scene was over by the time <laughs> the I had over, gone man. through that You're thought like, process. Well, I've gone too far. <laughs> Which one's he? Hans Landa. <laughs> Jesus, God. Oh, Jesus, God. All right. God. Well, I got to call it. We're way over. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. All right. Or well, we won't make our day. No, but I thank you. Christoph Waltz fucks. So. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you did. Oh, thank you so much Christoph for Christoph Waltz yeah. fucks. Yeah. Everyone's fucking. Um, we usually have everyone plug, but I don't think uh, or butt plug. What I, what I, I can plug. Uh, vote no on Prop Six. Prop okay. Six is the the proposition in the California midterms to repeal the gas tax, and uh, if you do that, you will set back uh, a lot of the climate change things that we are doing in California to to combat climate change. And also, there's a lot of money that is earmarked for infrastructure changes and improvements uh, that is based on the gas tax staying around going forward. Uh, And so if you repeal it, you will stop and delay and destroy a number of very important things in California and also set us back in the fight against climate change. No on six. No on six. Good, Good plug. I like that a lot. If you live in California. Yeah, obviously presumably. California is a limiting factor for some of you. Right. Or if, if you don't live in California. Hack a voting machine. Midterms are coming up. Uh, you have plenty of time to familiarize yourself with all of the different <laughs> things. You don't have to vote down ballot for everything. Uh, but familiarize yourself. Or vote at all, really. God almighty. <laughs> God almighty. I'm going to plug not voting. No, just kidding. It's the most important time to vote. Everyone knows that this isn't that yeah. kind of show. But no, thank you, Daniel. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Instagram at Small Beans Comedy. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Swame underscore Corp, Abe. At Abe the Mighty. The Mighty. I don't think, uh, that's my other plug, is that I don't think anyone, uh, not enough people follow Abe. He's so funny on Twitter. And his it's avatar is so aw. cute. Almost Thanks. all jokes, and they're all very good. Aww. And uh, you should just follow him for jokes and joy. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I've been taking. I've been leaving Twitter slowly over time. No. Yes, but now that you say that, that makes me happy. Go follow Abe's dying feed, <laughs> and we will see you next time on Frame Rate. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at Patreon.com/smallbeans. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!